Hello, Paul Osborne here. Thank you for downloading this latest podcast. Boris Johnson's big political appeal for a long time has been based at least partly on his boundless optimism. He is a sort of cross between an over-enthusiastic puppy and Tigger from the Winnie the Pooh stories. It is very rare, of course, that the Prime Minister has any kind of detailed plan to deliver the optimistic outcome that he assures you is moments away. But he says it with such relish that you sort of want to believe that it's true. Apparently, though, even Boris Johnson can tire of this unwarranted optimism, at least when it's coming from other people, and reportedly the greatest offender is Matt Hancock. The health secretary told one interviewer this weekend he had already booked his summer holiday in Cornwall. Such was his optimism for the year ahead. It seems this kind of statement has been labelled Hancockian within Downing Street, with the Prime Minister among those tired of cheery outlooks when they turn out to be a lot more like, say, torrential downpours of unending misery. This apparently is why Matt Hancock is being lined up for a move in the next cabinet reshuffle. Imagine being the public face of this government's response to coronavirus, only to be pushed aside as we slowly emerge from the nightmare by an over-enthusiastic toff, unhappy at your over-enthusiasm. I mean, wait until Boris Johnson hears about this other guy, Boris Johnson. I mean, he spent the last year running around spouting any amount of over-optimistic gibberish. I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were, a few, there were actually a few coronavirus uh, patients and I shook hands with everybody. I've developed mild symptoms of the coronavirus, that's to say a temperature and a, a persistent cough. I've taken a test that has come out positive. We are, as a country, in a far, far better position now to fight this disease than we were in March, and we will, in the weeks and months ahead, uh, be in an ever better position. You know, when Boris Johnson catches up with this Boris Johnson character, I think there's going to be trouble. Also allegedly heading for the political equivalent of the bargain bin in Woolworths come the next reshuffle is Gavin Williamson, a cabinet minister so effective that in his time as defence secretary, he was nicknamed Private Pike before he was sacked. Were he to be fired or moved on again, this would probably come as a relief to the 99% of head teachers who told a recent survey they had no confidence in him. You can sort of understand why. Why it was less than a month ago that the Education Secretary threatened to sue Greenwich Council in London when it suggested that maybe it wasn't massively sensible to keep schools open, what with them being huge sources of coronavirus infection. Then, just before the Christmas holiday, he set teachers some homework to set up a mass testing system in time for the reopening of schools in a fortnight. Uh, then, on New Year's Eve, a few days before that deadline, he changed his mind, decided that secondaries would close for an extra two weeks. But he then told primaries in 10 parts of COVID-riddled London that they should stay open. Uh, that policy lasted for two days before it was reversed on the 2nd of January. The following morning, Master of Enthusiasm Boris Johnson insisted schools were safe and that primary should open the following day. The following day, he closed all the schools as he imposed a new nationwide lockdown. Even for this government, that's quite a twisted path of U-turns. Underpinning all this, of course, is the terrifying surge in coronavirus infections, not just in London and the South East, but now spreading across the whole country. The chief medical officer says the NHS is on its knees, close to collapse. The death toll passed 70,000 on Christmas Day, and it's already topped 80,000. 
And we know in our hearts that some of the 50 to 60,000 people who test positive every day at the moment are not going to make it either. Every doctor you speak to tells you this is much, much worse than it was back in March and April of last year, and that the weeks ahead will probably be even worse than the last few. And yet the roads are busier, the trains and the tubes as well. Some schools have half their pupils in the classroom, even though they're meant to be closed. Five-year-olds are told to stay at home so they can't catch the virus and infect anyone they come into contact with. Four-year-olds, though, are apparently fine to go to nursery. Scientists say the measures that have been announced won't contain the spread of the mutated virus, certainly not enough to bring the R number below one and that tougher restrictions will be needed. But... As he has since the very first moment of this crisis, the Prime Minister dithers. He will eventually get around to putting in tighter controls, but by the time he does, another half million or so people will probably have been infected. Some of them will end up sitting in ambulances outside overcrowded hospitals before they are eventually admitted. Some of them won't come home again. Because, and I think this may have come up before, the Prime Minister likes to be the bearer of good news. When he has to deliver bad news, he holds out against it. He holds out for as long as he possibly can, even when the consequences for so many people will be heartbreaking. The government has consistently given the impression that the pandemic is a real pain, that it's getting in the way of all the other things that they want to do. This week was meant to see the start of the US-style news conferences in Downing Street. March was meant to see a forward-looking budget moving beyond the economic impact of COVID. That cabinet reshuffle I talked about a minute ago is also on hold, as are the elections planned for May. The thing is, it's hard to push an optimistic message when there is so very little to be optimistic about. We are, of course, all clinging to whatever vague hopes we can find at the moment, the vaccine being the chief one for most of us. But one cherished nugget of international optimism was the impending end of the Trump era. On January the 20th, the orange-hued, hate-filled sex pest will leave the Oval Office, either of his own volition or dragged out by the very people who just a few minutes earlier had been charged with his protection. But now, of course, we're just hoping we're going to get to the 20th of January without the short-tempered President Dum-Dum launching a nuclear strike on Pennsylvania. Whoever could have imagined that a man who built his entire public persona on lies and hate, a man with the business acumen to go bust running casinos, a man who paid out more in hush money to a single porn star than he did in tax in the same year, would turn out to be a morally bankrupt coward who would send an army of dim-witted malcontents to overthrow the government that he allegedly still sits at the top of. We're going to walk down to the Capitol... You'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. Now, of course, the events at the Capitol were shocking. They were horrifying. But honestly, why were we shocked? From the very beginning, Donald Trump has told the credulous imbeciles who make up his most hardcore supporters that they cannot trust anything the media says about him, especially if it's critical, and that the only way he could ever lose an election was if it was rigged. Of course, Donald Trump should be removed from office, either through impeachment, which, of course, would be for the second time, or through the 25th Amendment. Clearly, he is unable to perform the duties of his office. But that won't happen. He'll limp on to the 20th of January. He'll fly off to his tacky Florida turd bowl and he'll set up his TV network. 
Back in 2015, when this distempered sack of wind began his campaign, it all sort of seemed amusing. Still, nothing has happened in the intervening five and a half years that would have suggested that this is where it would end. And I'm sure that all those who either cheered him on or tolerated him or decided to follow him into the gutter will take a good hard look at themselves now and make the necessary changes. It's not as if this has taken us to a previously unimaginable dark place where the very worst people in the world feel they still have the upper hand. That is not the cheeriest note to end on, but to be honest, it's not been the cheeriest week, has it? As ever, there's more on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Party Games Pod. There's a full archive. There's links to subscribe to at partygamespodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Do keep washing your hands. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.